Do you like comics? We're here to talk comics. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. I I am <laughs> I am so disappointed with like my hero academia like the manga at the moment that Why as that? A, uh it's just this is it's it's struggling it's so it's struggling so hard um it just feels like so there's been a big fight like it feels like the final fight or like the fight that's going to lead to the ending of the series and part of the problem is that like every time there's forward momentum in the narrative it like the next chapter it feels like there's a step back um so it feels real stagnant there's a lot of stuff going on but none of it feels like it matters or progresses the story uh so it's just been like real not great like one chapter at a time it's like fine but like when i when i sit down and think about like what momentum there's been in the story i'm like oh nothing really because, um, like, a character will punch the bad guy, and then that guy will lose half his limbs, and you're like, aha! And then the next chapter, the guy, like, he regrows his limbs, and he's like, aha! And then they have to figure out how to break his limbs off again, and it's just kind of like, well, it's just a bunch of, like, aha moments. <laughs> it's it's kind of like if you took a Death Note argument and just stretched it out for a year. <laughs> so as a... As a uh, palate cleanser, I've started reading One Piece again. <laughs> Fair enough. And boy, do chapters in that, for the most part, feel satisfying. They do, for the most part. Yeah, it's not, it is not like a year of stagnant non-progress. Yeah, there are, there are moments when it gets a little bit draggy. I've been, I've committed to watching as much of One Piece as I can, and I have gotten quite far. Um, much further than I ever got just reading it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I don't, I, I, we've talked about One Piece so much on this podcast. We got to find something else to talk about. How about comic books? How about like Marvel comic books? Ooh, <laughs> good one. I've read those. Yeah, we read some that we could talk about today. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast, a show where we talk about One Piece a lot. My name is Steven. John and Aldo are here. Hey, guys, how you doing? Well. 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 Off to a killer start, guys. Um, (laughs) John, you need to get your sisters back on the show. Yeah, I don't know if you guys guys liked that or caught that, but uh, I think they did a great job for... I um, thought it was very funny. Yeah, never having heard my show, but you know, anytime we can get somebody on to make fun of me, that'll that'll turn out some content. <laughs> oh, I need to listen to that episode. I'm sorry, John. I'm a terrible Jeez. podcast mate. Jeez. Gosh. You <laughs> I didn't expect I, I, either one of you to listen to it at all. <laughs> I I only listen to the episodes I edit, and that's because I edit them. <laughs> <laughs> Just listening back, be like, <laughs> Aldo sitting at home listening, he's like, ah, there are those dulcet tones, how you doing, baby? He, like, has a mirror in front of him, <laughs> and in front of the thing. Do you, actually, question, do you guys listen to, to the episodes? Nah. Uh, I mean, sometimes I'll skim through, or if I'm like, I think there was, like, a really funny part that we all laughed at really hard, like, I'll see if it plays in the podcast, or if it's just, like, me sweetening the memory, you know? <laughs> Uh-huh. But occasionally. I, like, have a lot of different shows to watch. I don't have time to listen to the podcast that I already spent X number of hours, you know, <laughs> listening and preparing for and recording. But yeah. Like, I, got, I got one piece to watch. <laughs> <laughs> for a show called One Piece, there certainly are a lot of pieces to it. I promise we're not here to talk about One Piece. Yet. Yet. We <laughs> <laughs> what would our One Piece podcast be called? The World Government Bounty? <laughs> It'll be Is that the one with the pirates? That'll be the that'll be the one. <laughs> John's quest to understand what the One Piece is. I think it'd be great to just actually do a One Piece podcast, but like you have two people who explain arc by arc 
what one piece is to like a, a another person. <laughs> that sounds that sounds insufferable. <laughs> oh my gosh! We're just retelling, retelling, paraphrasing a carefully crafted story from a manga or an anime. Like no, but they, but they, then they like they they have this big attack and it's really cool. Oh yeah, that's perfect for an audio podcast. Yeah. Listen, would, we're not. We're, Listen, this character changes, but we're not going to talk about that because that's on Marshmallow Island. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, like, and, then I'm, and then I'm given a test at the end to see if I absorb any of that information. And I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I hate my friends. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> you like us. Although I don't know if you will after, after tonight's reading. So we read, we went back to the early days of the original Ultimate Universe to punish ourselves basically yeah in my head ultimate iron man is where the ultimate universe begins i'm not sure that that's true but we read the first arc of ultimate iron man and the first arc of ultimate fantastic four um a pair of stories that exist and we have to deal with the consequences so i i feel like personally i actually have a little bit more to say about ultimate iron man I think we could start out with Iron Man. Yeah. You want to start with Iron Man? So the Ultimate Universe starts out with Ultimate Spider-Man in 2000, Ultimate X-Men in 2001, Ultimates in 2002, Daredevil in 2002, uh, and then if we skip forward, it is Fantastic Four in 2004, and then Iron Man in 2005. Huh. And I skipped a lot. So they kind of coincide with some of the movies that came out. Maybe they were trying to regenerate interest in the characters before you know different adaptations came up. Um, I I don't know how accurate that is. I mean, Iron Man didn't come out till two thousand eight. Yeah, but Fantastic Four was two thousand twelve or two thousand or two thousand four or two thousand five, right? And Spider Man yeah, was two thousand two, two thousand four, two thousand seven. Yeah, but the Fantastic Four of the movie even try. Oh, no, no, it was terrible. It was <laughs> terrible, as was Spider-Man 3. I'm still mad about that. Um, uh, you know, as, as much as I like to hop on the bandwagon, I don't hate the Fantastic Four movie as much as other people do. There is a great moment when Chris Evans um, gets the thing to hit himself in the face with a pie, and his little celebratory, like, silent yay in the background is, is gold. <laughs> I will not say anything bad about that movie. But, um, or that moment in the movie, but everything else, eh. I haven't actually seen the Fantastic Four movies. Um, You're not missing much. They haven't got it right yet. That's what I understand. Yeah. Anyway, so. But, let's, yeah. Let's start. <laughs> Ultimate Iron Man. Ultimate Iron Man 2005 series written by, oh boy, Orison Scott Card. Pencils by Andy Kubert. Inks by Danny Mickey, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Chris Eliopoulos. Ultimate Iron Man tells a different, very, very different origin story for Tony Stark as Iron Man. Uh, the book mostly follows Howard Stark and his desire to develop uh, special technology and weaponry kind of leads him to create and and try to perfect this weird sort of it's not nanotechnology but it's like a, a a bacterial paint that you like rub on your skin and it makes you impervious to to damage but the bacteria will like eat your skin if you wear it too long anyway it's this cool thing that he's developing and in the course of his experiments he falls in love with a woman gets divorced from his wife who is planning on teaming up with one of the the Stain guys, Zebediah Stain, and there's like a hostile takeover of Stark Industries, but Stark goes on the lamb, taking the technology with him because he'd contracted it out. So even though Zebediah Stain has gotten his companies, he doesn't actually have any of the technology. Uh, the woman that he married winds up dying in childbirth and giving birth to a really bizarre... Like, a, a child with some really bizarre conditions. He has brain matter, like, distributed all throughout his body, 
but he is in immense pain all the time. So Howard Stark covers the baby in this this blue bacteria and like starts developing technology kind of on the sly to to build up his his child and make him strong and and teach him and all this stuff. Meanwhile, Stane continues to pursue Howard Stark and try to get this technology back from him. Uh, sends assassins to, to try to get him. Uh, actually, winds up kidnapping Tony at some point. Shops off, or Tony manages to escape in part by like chopping off his own foot, which can re- regrow thanks to all the stuff that this bacteria is doing for him. Uh, Howard sends Tony off to a private school where Tony makes friends with Jim Rhodes. And when I say he makes friends with Jim Rhodes, he does so by being the most racist to him. And Rhodes finds it charming, I guess. Uh, All along the way, Stark, Tony Stark this time, is developing his own sets of armor because he's trying to keep himself and his friends safe from all of these bullies. Uh, He has, this, this bacteria, like, gives him weird... Almost like a healing factor. He gets shoved in a furnace and his legs regrow because of of this bacteria. Really kind of curious. Anyway, then he winds up going off to a special school in the Baxter building, which I do not think is the home of the Fantastic Four yet, where he meets Obadiah Stane, uh, Zebediah Stane's psychotic child, who one of the very first things we see him do is throw a couple of other children off the building. Uh, anyway, there's not really much to do with Obadiah Stane. He's just kind of there right now. Uh, Tony continues to grow. Uh, Howard Stark gets set up and and framed for for murder. And Tony kind of takes over running the company and saves the day in an Iron Man suit after uh, terrorists capture some hostages on a ferry and he flies in and saves him and that's the end the the ultimate iron man the first story arc kind of just ends uh but yeah it's a very very different take on iron man as a character very much not the the sort of tony stark that we are used to and kind of tries to take a different route to get to that character we see early signs of tony stark's alcoholism we see his sort of flippant you know devil may care full speed ahead damn the torpedoes attitude and it's the result is a character who has very different cultural baggage than i think the the one who got his own start by selling weaponry to the military and kind of facing the consequences of war firsthand Uh, i am gonna say that I, I think this has to be said, and it's it's kind of an uncomfortable conversation. Orson Scott Card is a divisive figure. He is a prominent science fiction and fantasy writer. Uh, wrote Ender's Game, wrote a whole bunch of other like really uh, interesting novels. Also has very vocal. Uh, not entirely complimentary opinions, I think that's underselling it, uh, about homosexuality. And that has gotten him blacklisted from the comics industry, basically. He he was scheduled to write a Superman comic and was booted from it after people objected to his, his very public and angry stance on gay marriage. And... Yeah, it's it's kind of difficult to talk about Orson Scott Card because he and I are co-religionists. He's also very vocally a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it's frustrating as someone who has, like, my views have shifted on, on that topic over the years. And I find myself not being on the same page as Orson Scott Card. And that's, it's frustrating to, to kind of have to deal with that. But, like, let just say that I don't, agree with card on same-sex marriage i think that it's fine it's natural it's not something that deserves to be punished by law which is what he i believe continues to endorse and that's unfortunate because yeah he wrote a lot of stuff that was meaningful to a lot of people and has kind of i think lost 
the path a little bit. Regardless, let's talk about this story. What did y'all think? Oh, brain skin is weird. <laughs> yeah. Brain skin is weird. But it's like, that's I've, like a good weird, right? Like a, oh, this is a weird science fiction thing that I've never read before. Yeah, I think it's novel. I think the approach to Tony Stark being a super genius, I don't know how much I like it. Like, I, I, I don't think I dislike it either. I don't know where I sit on this concept of Tony Stark being a super genius, not just because of his genius parents, but because of this experiment that kind of went wrong with his mom that, you know, he inherited. And, yeah, that seems a little weird. I do I do like how Howard is presented here as kind of like... As, uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I do like how You'll Howard there, is. Don't worry. Thank you. I do like how Howard is presented here as a father figure in the sense that like, it really does feel like he's trying to one, protect his kid from, you know, the government. Cause you know, the government bad and, you know, trying to really encourage him to, to experiment and do things. And, and the other thing I like is, you know, he kind of gives him for the most part, like a seemingly humble upbringing in as humble as you can get with the Starks living in like the suburbs, kind of going to, you know, a nice school, but not like a school, like a think tank, like the Baxter building that he later gets sent to. But yeah, I I don't know. I like stuff out of this. I don't know if I like the book as a complete product. I think for me, it's kind of missing that definitive this is Iron Man moment. It just kind of happens at the end, which isn't bad. It just feels like it's missing. And I, I, as much as I would hate to reference the movie, I I think it's missing that moment where he declares himself Iron Man. But I I think that this is an interesting origin that shouldn't have been Iron Man's. I think that you know having you know your your mother give you some inborn characteristics or whatever and you're born trying to deal with that we don't really get that we get howard being a good dad like aldo said but we it seems like we we have this weird origin and we're gonna tack it on to Mm -hmm. iron man and still get him around to his drinking problem and still getting him around to being the businessman for this you know music munitions company that kind of thing i don't feel like they they match up well these these two things, you know, of what the the origin story we get with, you know, the character, because it it, I don't know, I don't know if it works for I I didn't get the same Tony that I was expecting, um, I don't know if that makes sense. I just yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I don't know that I completely disagree with you because there is, you know, this is a book called Iron Man, right? Ultimate Iron Man. So you are expecting. Iron Man, per se, you know, you're expecting Tony, that kind of like a specific characterization. And I think if this was in another book, I think I would agree with you even more. The fact that it's like the the ultimate universe, right? This was supposed to be a sort of reimagining and an update and stuff like that, I think gives it a little bit of leeway. I think they they really took a big leap on this one. Mm-hmm. More so than I think any other ultimate reimagining. So it is. It is weird. It straddles this weird line between like familiar and not. Like it. This feels so much not like Tony, but a lot of this is to lead up to Tony, but with different baggage. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like that when they they lead up to it, and then they they. I don't know. I didn't get a good handle on, you know, his powers and how that it was kind of like, it really felt like a different hero origin trying to push it into like, like a, like a big hunk of Play-Doh through one of the Play-Doh factory kits. We're taking a big, (laughs) we're taking this, this awkward big hunk of origin story and we're going to shove it out through the Iron Man hole. And that's, that's an unfortunate combination of words I just said, but we're going to move past (laughs) it. and never say uh, Iron Man hole again. (laughs) I'm sorry. 
<laughs> please, please call the episode Iron Man Hole. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, I feel like what they were going for with his conversation with Rhodey is I'm going to say this over the top racist thing so you know that I don't agree with it, but that there could have been other ways of saying that. Or, you know, yeah, like, having them be buddies somehow. Like, whoo. So, like, I lived through 2005 when this story was written. And I don't think it was okay to be this cavalierly flippant about, you know, anti-black racism. Like, here's the thing. I was kind of liking this story until we got to that point. And once I got there, I was like... Well, this doesn't ring true at all. For one thing, I don't think Rhodey would put up with that sort of disrespect. Although he is Tony Stark's best friend, so maybe putting up with disrespect is his superpower. Oh. It just Orson Scott Card is not the person who gets to make the call that it's okay for this white guy to use the N-word. Uh-huh. That's, that's, not, that's not your place. You don't get to make that call. You don't know that. You don't... I... I uh, it really like that really upset me honestly to just be to just read that and and it took me out of the story because i wasn't thinking about would rody i wasn't really thinking would rody be okay with that even though now i'm like yeah i don't think he would but in the moment i was like which marvel editor and we can look it up cuz you know this is a a book with the name of the editor published in the front cover which marvel editor thought it was okay to have this sort of racist diatribe from a you know very sheltered white sci-fi writer like who whose idea was that yeah well my question is how bad was it before an editor stepped in <laughs> oh no oh no this is one of those things where it's like they wrote the really bad thing to get the kind of bad thing through oh dear it's like, oh no, we are to the good timeline. Dang. <laughs> and like, so we I think we've actually talked about Orson Scott Card a little bit on the podcast before because, you know, as, as fans of genre fiction, we've read Orson Scott Card. I have always kind of struggled with the way that his stories seem to like go out of their way to... They, his stories seem to go out of their way to force in this little bit of edginess that I don't think holds up well. I don't think serves the story. It serves to distract more than edify. And that's, it's, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> I don't know. I, like, I, I just think about Ender's Shadow, which opens up with like a description of this war-ravaged European city. And it describes like six-year-old prostitutes like little girl children prostitutes and it's like did you have to include that was that really necessary why do you do stuff like this you silly silly man steven you don't understand it flushes out the world building you have to describe the bad parts (laughs) in extreme detail you have, to, you have to explain how it affects the world economy, or else nothing will make sense. I mean, it wasn't extreme graphic detail, but it was also very unpleasant. Like, oh, these are starving children on the streets, and, you know, Bean came out of all of that. Oh, I don't know. I I, I like those books. I, that's not fun to read. It's it's a bummer. Um, but, you know, um, they're... There is tragedy in fiction, you know, to set the stakes, I guess. I don't know. I that This is like try to separate the art from the artist because I do not agree with, you know, these public stances he's taken. Um, but that, that you know, that series, like the, the Enders series, you know, both the Ender um, and Speaker for the Dead books as well as Ender's Shadow, like I really liked those growing up and so it's it's tough, but... Here, I think it's it's like a misfire. I think that there are some interesting things here, but they're not... Maybe the, the origin is not told in a way that I'm used to. So maybe I'm coming at this from, you know, what I expect from an origin story versus how it's told here. And that's part of the problem. 
Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't quite work for me. You know, art's fine. Everything else about it was all right. Um, but the, the story itself and how we get from, you know, a completely different point A than we're used to, to a point B where we're more familiar with it. Um, just, it didn't, didn't really ring true for me. It didn't work for me. Yeah. And then I think it like you come into this expecting a superhero story and it never really becomes one. Uh, again, I think there are some interesting ideas here, and I don't know, maybe the Iron Man, Ultimate Iron Man miniseries 2, you actually get some more of that superheroics, but it never, <sighs> Iron Man never gets into a real Iron Man suit. Like, even at the end, that's not what I think of when I think of an Iron Man suit. It's more like a mech. It's like yeah. Tony Stark Gundam pilot. Yeah. Which maybe that's what they were going for. I don't know how like big Gundams were at that time compared to any other time, but um, it's not really the Iron Man that you expect. And if you're going to be in a Gundam, you should fight another giant robot. Yeah. Yeah. Or a monster or something. I will say for... I know a lot of people don't like the ultimate Iron Man armor. I actually like it. And I know that I'm in the minority of that, but I don't think it's a bad look. I actually quite like it, and I, I thought it was cool seeing it be a giant robot. Granted, it didn't fight another giant robot, but I think it looks pretty neat. I don't. I actually don't hate the design either. I think there's a, a certain sort of charm to it, and so like my complaint is not about the design of the armor. It's more that this is a story about a character named Iron Man, and he's not recognizably Iron Man by the end of the story. Yeah. Yes, and I agree with that, but I did just want to chime in about the suit because I like it. Yeah, no, I think the suit design is actually pretty neat. I think there's a there's a place for this almost. Uh, it's I, I it is almost like an anime design. It reminds me a little bit of of like blocky, uh, chibi sprite characters like Mega Man. Mm-hmm. I was going to say there's almost like a Power Rangers kind of like Megazord thing to it as well. A little bit, yeah. And but. so there's something to that that's that's appealing. It just, within the context of this story, it doesn't feel right. To me, at any rate. Yeah, yeah. it's missing that superhero, like that definitive, like this is when he becomes Iron Man moment. It He just ends up getting into the suit and like, okay, <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm. He's he piloting the suit. It's not him, and his dad calls him Iron Man in like a really awkward kind of way. Like it's like we're just tacking on this nickname that like doesn't really feel earned. I didn't hate it until I did. Like that's really oh, yeah. It, it's like issue three when they start introducing black characters. It's not just Jim Rhodes, but it's also. Tony Stark's public school where he, you know, starts showing off his technology to the shop class and the shop class is full of all of these black kids and do rags who speak in, in ebonics. And it's just, uh, I mean, not, why are you writing a, this? That's an inner, I mean, not to excuse it entirely, but early two thousands inner city school. <laughs> this was inclusion at the time, Steven. Not a not a misunderstanding of culture. This was, hey, you know what we got to do? We got to make sure that we include... <laughs> we got to show that this little white nerd is cool with the black dudes. The street youths, you know. They Yeah, they didn't beat him up. He's cool with them. Um, yeah, I... Was, uh, you know what else was inclusion for its time? Minstrel shows. Oh, uh. gosh. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I, Again, I said it didn't excuse least, it. I'm I think just it is saying. safe to say that this story has not aged super well. Yeah. I'll just say At least those is, elements of it. This is, a, um, this is a product of 2005. 2005 was not a good time. Yeah, in, not unless. Yeah, especially if you were on the roads, because that's about when I was learning how to drive. Oh, boy. <laughs> Sidewalks have never been safe since. No. <laughs> um, I didn't care for any of, like, the. Oh, like any of the Stain family, really? Like, you know, he Not- his his ex wife, that whole thing. Like, 
it was it. I don't know. It gave it gave Howard a chance to like kind of get out of the out of the big picture, out of the uh, you know public eye, I guess. And I liked that change that Howard was more like it was a better relationship, I think. But it kind of kept Tony from being the Tony we know. So, and but also when you're yeah. used to. When you're used to Jeff Bridges as like your Obadiah Stane, that's a pretty stark contrast. <laughs> stark. Contrast. Oh, I get it. Oh, hey, I made a pun. <laughs> Hope you didn't tear a muscle making that pun because it took a lot of work. Iron Man hole. Okay, <laughs> tear <Terrence> tower. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Good art. I I like the Cuberts. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll I'll say that too. Like it really is, I think. Just what holds this book back is is the the weird sort of structure, which doesn't really fit the superhero story mold, and the the unnecessary racism. There, there's a way to be more subtle with that. The racism. Not, we don't want him to be more subtle. I'd rather he be over. No, I mean, but like, so we can shun him. Show the. <laughs> okay. Shun. Shun. Okay, but okay, but follow me on this. Is a really racism if Tony Stark would then be portrayed by Robert Downey, who plays Kirk Lazarus, who plays Lincoln Osiris. <laughs> um. Oh gosh! Do you think that's why they cast him? <laughs> Don't know. I think it goes back around to being racist again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, he's the dude playing the dude playing another dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can turducken oh. it all you want. It's still a racist turducken. Yep. It's like a, I need to, it's like I a need to chicken wrapped in a duck wrapped in a white bed sheet. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Fantastic Four, am I right? The Grand Imperial Turducken. <laughs> Grand Dragon Turducken. <laughs> Uh, anyway, anyway let's, let's talk about Ultimate FF. Yeah, Ultimate Fantastic Four. That's the other book we read. Not problematic at all. Oh no, Mark Millar wrote it. But this isn't Mark Millar. This is this is Bendis, isn't it? It's yeah. both. Oh, oh, it's both. Yeah. Oh no. Okay. So we read Ultimate Fantastic Four issues one through six. This came out in two thousand four. This is written by both Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Millar. Or is it Miller? The world will never know. Pencils by Adam Kubert. Inks by Danny Miki. Colors by Dan Stewart. Letters by Chris Eliopoulos. And one of the editors is Ralph Macchio, not the Karate Kid. <laughs> I feel like we have to say that every time we see Macchio's name on a book. I do. I feel I, like I, Yeah. I do the I, same thing, yeah. I think it's in one of the Marvel Zombies book. I think it's the first Marvel Zombies book. There's like a little interview thing in the in the hardcover of the trade where he talks about trying to get Robert Kirkman. Oh no, it's a letter from Robert Kirkman talking about how they got him to do Marvel Zombies and he jokes about how Ralph Macchio, the editor, the Marvel editor called him, left him a message or I think sent him a letter. And he jokes about being excited that they got the Karate Kid to convince him to write Marvel Zombies until he met him. <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah, it's very cute. Uh, anyways, we're not talking about Marvel Zombies yet. Uh, or Ralph got, Macchio. Or Ralph Macchio. We got ten months before we start one of those conversations. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Brace countdown. yourself. Countdown begins now. But... Um, yeah, so we read the first six issues of Fantastic, Ultimate Fantastic Four, and this is a retelling mostly through the lens of Reed Richards. We follow Reed Richards from being like in public high school, uh, getting bullied quite a bit from you know other students, uh, getting bullied and you know maybe some sort of abuse from his dad, who does not have the patience for him, yells and is very very short with him would be the best way to describe it. He is creating a teleporter that would eventually become like the teleporter that takes him into the negative zone, which they call the end zone here. And he gets scouted at a school science fair after he makes the teleporter that 
would later kind of become the teleporter that takes them to the negative zone or the end zone. I think I think here in the beginning it's just kind of using the end zone as kind of like a space between space to be able to teleport things. Yeah. I think I think that's how my my peasant brain understood it. No, that's <laughs> that's what <laughs> That's how Reed was in pic- picturing it to work, you know. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we meet Ben Grimm, who is, you know, like a big high school jock who is also his friend and kind of protects him from the other bullies. Reed's dad really likes him, kind of wishes Reed was him, I'm sure. So after he gets scouted to go to this think tank at the Baxter building, so hey, there's that ultimate, you know, universe connection. He goes there, meets Sue Storm and Johnny Storm as well. And as well as Doom, who is not known as Doom, that is not his actual name, he is Victor Van Damme, <laughs> which I hate, but it's yeah. okay. Yeah. So, anyway, so this is where he is encouraged to, you know, create stuff and, you know, work on this teleporter thing. And he does, and many years later, I think an adult at this point, um, him and Sue and Victor are getting ready to to fire it off. Pr- oh, prior to this, I guess Victor and Reed have like this sort of, you know, headbutting rivals. They hate each other, but they both ha- have to admit that the other one's smart enough kind of relationship where they fix each other's errors in their work. And so as they're getting ready to fire this giant teleporter everybody's present so like ben Grimm is visiting because he wants to see what he's been working on johnny storm is there telling reed to take a chance with sue he's like you know she'd be very receptive come on bro type of thing and victor's there and victor is kind of fuddling with the equations kind of last minute and it's that sort of fuddling that changes I think the coordinates of not where they end up at but like something to do with the end zone coordinates and point is it teleports everybody who was nearby which is those five and that's when they get their powers reed where does reed i forgot where reed teleports to reed just kind of winds up there yeah he's still there yeah 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 he's there he's just all stretched out and they think he's like an alien monster um so he gets rescued uh the thing i think they said was in mexico at first yeah and so they, they rescue him. He wakes up as, you know, the thing. Johnny Storm wakes up in France and lights a hospital on fire. And Sue Storm teleported somewhere else. I can't forget. I can't remember where it was. But she gets kidnapped by the Mole Man who used to be a teacher at the Baxter building. Um, and has since, like after being fired for working on, like, illegal, like experimentation of trying to create life out of nothing essentially type of thing like very immoral like the government doesn't want anything to do with it um sue's father has told him to stop and you know he gets kicked out i don't know why the government just didn't arrest him there but i guess then we wouldn't have this first arc kidnaps sue takes her to like this underground lab that he has that is hooked into the baxter building so he's been observing everything since he was fired. So, you know, not creepy at all. And is kind of wanting to claim this whole thing as like a victory. So the government has found uh, Reed, Johnny, and Ben. And they fight like a dragon, rock, lizard, underground dinosaur thing. And they jump in the hole that it came out of. And they, it's where they find Sue. They beat up the mole man, beat up his animen, and rescue rescue her. And then they realize, oh no, we forgot about Victor. And that's where it ends. You see, Orson, that's how it's done. Giant monster <laughs> fight at the end. Everything's fine. Less racism helps a lot. A also, ton! Who knew? Wait, we all did. Oh... <laughs> We did not talk about Obadiah Stane killing two kids in the Baxter building. Steven mentioned it, but... Um, I mentioned it, it in the overview. It was horrifying. Yeah, that's messed up. Yeah, yeah. super messed up. Anyways, that's not here or there. 
Actually, that's there. Not here. Anyway, sorry, John. What were you trying to say? <laughs> I was trying to say, um, I didn't mind this kind of retelling of the origin. Um, I think it still worked, and it kind of, instead of just, they went off into space and encountered cosmic rays, it tried to give a bit more kind of tactile um, reasons for things that happened, and it still was, you know, fantastic enough for it to become their origin. Um, I like that even though Ben Grimm is present and then gone and then back again and just kind of like happens to be there, that kind of felt a little forced, but it was still like the thing that kind of turned them into a team is they all were like, hey, we should go fight this thing. Yeah, let's go. Like that spirit of adventure where they're like, let's go for it. You know, Um, Sue's somewhere around here. Let's go rescue her. But, you know, again, that's a... A bummer that you know Sue is is you know put in that position, but also turns Tantle around and distress. saves everybody else. Yeah, she's the one who saves everyone with her force fields at the end. So there's there's and, something there, I guess. Yeah, and levitation. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what helps in this reimagining, you know, not sending them into space, is the fact that it, they tie it into like another piece of Fantastic Four lore. Yeah. Yeah. Right, with the yeah. negative zone, and I think that helps, you know, change it from the norm, but also keep it feeling, you know, tied into the, our our pre-existing knowledge of, you know, the Fantastic Four, assuming that you had read the Fantastic Four before. And if not, yeah. you can come to that knowledge later and go, oh, they just kind of, they just kind of zagged on it. They just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, gave us a bit of that lore earlier. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think I, th- mm-hmm. I think that this is like the story is fine, but it does kind of highlight how silly this project is <laughs> because this it's it's completely unnecessary <laughs> to have Ultimate Fantastic Four be basically the same thing as regular Fantastic Four. But we also kind of like were put off by how Ultimate Iron Man was not enough like mainstream Marvel Universe Iron Man. So I'm not sure that there's a good solution. If this is your goal, how do you do a good retelling that is distinct enough from the original to warrant existing, but not so different that it might as well just be a completely unrelated story, unrelated characters, right? I don't know how to thread that needle. Yeah. And I'm not sure either of the stories we read tonight really managed it. I will say that I think Ultimate FF did better. Yeah. I think yeah. some of those differences, some of the stuff that justifies the Ultimate Universe being different, don't come into play until later. And, like, there's some stuff here that that feels like it's part of the mainline universe. I feel like Reed being bullied as much as he was like at home and at school and stuff like that really kind of sets the foundation for like, oh, this is why he's a total jerkwad as an adult. And, you know, not super great, but, you know, whatever. But the fact that this, this is the Reed Richards that would later become the maker, who is still a villain, who is still like carried over into modern day, even after the the deletion or removal of the ultimate universe and i guess it's actually coming back i've been seeing some stuff yeah but I don't like know the many f- details about it but yeah yeah but the fact like that this is like the reed richards that would later become that i think that in and of itself is kind of pretty interesting this johnny storm would later leave the fantastic four and go hang out with spider-man which we saw that at the um the death of spider-man we saw that him and um, Iceman are, are living in at May's house. So, so some of those things don't come into play later. And I don't know if the purpose, if like that is the purpose, right? Is to set a familiar enough foundation that you can later work off of, or if it should have been more immediate, you know, those changes. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. And certainly like, a lot of that stuff wasn't actually planned at this time, right? Mm-hmm. Like right, which is maker? why... No way. Right, which is why like Iron Man later gets retconned. 
Right. Yeah, I think later they they reveal that Iron Man one and two, the ones that are written by Orson Scott Card, are not the real in world like origin stories. They are like a made for TV movie about the life of Tony Stark. That is so weird. Yeah. We're back. But, we're back in the narrative to ducking. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah so, but with this book, I feel like it was familiar enough. I think here really really does just feel like hey we're just retelling the origin in modern times and maybe that was good enough at the time i mean this was one of the other like longer running ultimate books i uh, steven was saying how do you thread the needle between changing it up so it's worth putting in the ultimate universe and keeping it similar enough that it still rings true as a good origin for this character I think uh, Ultimate Spider-Man is the way to do it. Let's have a Spider-Man who's not Peter Parker. Let's have him learn the same lessons in his own way. You know, he still has losses. He still has that responsibility, you know, the great power. But it's new and different because it's a new and different character. Otherwise... You get fans going, well, I wanted it like the thing that I like, but not exactly like it, but not so different that I can't... You know, fans get to complain. If you know how to thread that needle, then you, you're one of the writers. So, and I'm, I'm right there with, with all of us, like, well, I wanted it to be similar, but not exactly like it. I want it familiar, but not too familiar, but not too not familiar. <laughs> Okay. That was to annoy I, Aldo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie. When you started that whole, uh, you know, topic, I was like, no, Peter Parker was an Ultimate Spider-Man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I know. Didn't. I, but I he is dispatched. We were talking about Miles Morales until later. Yeah. I, was like, what are you, I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't say anything because I was like, maybe I'm dumb. What's going on? <laughs> Or like, oh, John, John is John is super smart. No. He's talking about Miles Morales. I'm, I'm a <laughs> <laughs> not dumb. Just not dumb. Just have an itchy trigger finger. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, Miles is the way to do it, right? Yeah, that's 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 a good observation. Yeah, excellent take, my friend. Every now and again, every now and again, I get one. <laughs> and in the Everybody words of Victor one. Van Damme. <laughs> Even a even a clock even a broken clock is right twice. You know they name him Van Dam and they don't even have the decency to have him do the splits on two chairs. I know it's so. He's from when, Belgium too. When they first said that his name was Van Dam, they had it like italicized, so I thought it was somebody making fun of his name being. Bald. Yeah, and he'd correct them and be like, "It is Doom," and I, you know that, and like be mad about it, you know. Right, and it doesn't happen. I'm like, oh, is he? Van Damme, that's dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. But yeah, I thought, I don't know, I thought this this book was, you know, for the most part it was fine. It is a little, I mean, again, a little frustrating that they default to Sue being the damsel in distress. Yeah. But, I mean, that is kind of in line for the character, not of her character, but for the Mole Man. Is, isn't he, like, in the regular comics, like, obsessed with yeah. Storm as well? No, I don't, I don't know if he's obsessed with Stu Storm. Namor is. I mean, and they, to be fair, I think that's like half of the Fantastic Four villains. Yeah, they're product of their time. But um, Mole Man, I don't remember him being obsessed. I did. I thought that was a good way to, because I never understood that character. But having him be a former teacher, and he's you know in his mind trying like it's a good villain thing. He doesn't think he's a villain. He's thinking that he's helping you know uh and he's creepy he's super creepy and gross so good oh, villain he's drawn so gross yeah yeah, yeah really gross so um i think it's effective yeah i think you know talking about threading the needle maybe a good beginning arc would have been to have the thing after he turns into the thing kind of turn into the first antagonist Maybe I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that that's what people want from Ben Grimm, though. No, right. You're right. I don't know. It's a, I'm just uh, shooting something out there. It's just spitballing. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fair. But I don't yeah, think it's the worst idea. But yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, I guess Johnny Storm would maybe be more online antagonist. And then they, you know, they beat some sense into him and then they become the Fantastic Four. Instead Possible. of the Terrific Three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we all know that the Fantastic Four are like designed to be the four elements. Right? You know, I didn't pick that up until from... they spelled it out and slapped my face with it yeah. this book. I'm kind of annoyed that they did that. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I am because I'm like, okay, uh, earth, air, rock, and then and, and, and fire. But, like, I get rock and air with Sue and fire, but then water, I guess he's, he, but he's like rubber. He's not quite... You know, I, I, I know, Yeah, he took a bite of the gum gum. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yo, yeah. <laughs> Give it a read. <laughs> sorry. Anyways, Ugh. not One Piece. But um, that was intentional. Like, when, when Lee and Kirby sat down to make the Fantastic Four, they did use the, the four classical elements as their inspiration. But, you know, they made Reed water... Like, it was inspiration. It wasn't explicit. Okay. Because, yeah. like like you kind of pointed out, John, uh, Reed's b- ability isn't really water. He he flows, I guess, but it's not yeah. like so, Hydro-Man. I mean, yeah. by that logic, by that logic, is the Super Scroll the Avatar? Okay, see, I was out and now I'm back in. Yeah. Yeah. He's more Captain Planet. Because by by their powers combined, no, but they're missing heart. Well, that's why he's a villain. That's fair. Maybe Victor's supposed to be heart. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know that that smacks a little bit of the the whole you know putting the lampshade on the fact that the Fantastic Four powers are kind of modeled after the the classic four elements. That smacks a little bit of. The sort of winking at the camera. We know that you're too smart for this. Just let let us show you that we know that you're too smart for this, and so that you can have fun without being embarrassed by it. Sort of thing that a lot of media does when you're dealing with stuff like superheroes, and it's it 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 doesn't. It's not very good. I, I'm bringing this up in part because I don't have as much negative to say about this as I did about the other one, um, and. Like the positives are, you know, it's fine. It's serviceable. It's it's relatively well told. It's less embarrassing than than other Ultimate Marvel comics that we might have discussed already tonight. So, like, obviously, it's not a deal breaker. It's just like you are retelling a story that we already know. You don't need to to you don't need to hang a lampshade on it. That's all. I liked it, but. Um, then again, I was a little too dense to have ever picked that up. Yeah. I just read a lot of comics blogs back in the day. So I don't think I picked <laughs> it up. I think it was pointed out to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much else to say. I like the art. The art's fine. Yeah. The art was also fine. Um, yeah. I preferred this. As much as I like the Kuberts, I like a little bit more Squish. Uh, and I, I think this was a little bit more cartoony uh, in a way that I like. Plus, ended with a big fun monster fight. Yeah. Always gotta have big fun monster fight. Use their powers in very fun ways. Like Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. I will say that is one of the things I think that the Ultimate Universe had going for it was I think they had some pretty solid artists. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which is which is why I think a lot of people remember the Ultimate Universe so fondly. Not necessarily because of the writing, because I think on a lot of revisits, at least I'm finding that the ultimate stuff doesn't hold up as well as I think I would Ooh, like it, it to. It does not. But it all looks fantastic. Like, it, it all yeah. looks, you know, really well. It looks and feels, for the most part, like, really consistent. Obviously, every once in a while, you have, like, an outlier. Um, but for the most part, it feels consistent. It feels fun, dynamic. It's colorful without, like, being too goofy. It's grounded but not feeling ultra-realistic. Like, it's just, like, a really good, you know, middle-of-the-road style for that universe. Which is, again, why I think so much of the of the MCU, especially the early MCU, was adopting so much of it. Specifically the, the style, the art style for it. Yeah. 
Well, let's think, like, who are the artists that we've encountered? You know, we've got Sarah Pacelli, Justin Ponzer did a lot of colors for Ultimates. Uh, Adam the Kuberts. Yeah. Like, these are good artists. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who was the artist for the Ultimates. Is that Brian Hitch? Who was Hitch? the artist for the Ultimates? Brian Hitch. Yeah. I think at this point, like, the only, like, major um, Ultimate story that we haven't read yet has been Ultimate. Yeah, and I'm not really looking forward to that one because, like, like you say, you revisit the Ultimates and a lot of it doesn't hold up. I read Ultimate X-Men, and at the time I thought it was a little bit sus. I, I was expecting to not like either one of these, and I was fine with the Fantastic Four one. So... I don't know. I'm. I'll read the. I'll read the X Men. But uh, yeah, I'm with it. With everything in the Ultimate Universe, I'm just. I don't know. It's also, it's gonna win Ultimates, me over because you know. yeah. Also, Ultimate yeah. Wolverine versus Hulk. Um, as terrible as that Ooh. book was, it was drawn by Leno Francis Yu. So he was very good. Very I liked good. that guy. Very like good art. Him. Very terrible book. Whoa, that book was bad. Okay. Are we are we ready to rank these? Yeah. Um, as ready as I'll ever hey. be, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> Currently, we have 260 nice stories on our list. Uh, nice. Number one is <laughs> No Normal. 260 nice? <laughs> no, I think you heard that wrong. <laughs> I could have swore. All right. <laughs> anyway, number one, No Normal, Ms. Marvel. Very, very good. Uh, number 269, The Evil That Men Do uh, by... Uh, yeah, just an awful, awful story. Um, the Ultimates... We have not read that many Ultimates. But then again, we do have an Ultimate story in our top 10. The Boy Who Would Be Spider-Man. The first appearance of Miles Morales. And we have an Ultimate story in... Jeez, in our bottom three. Yeah, The Ultimates... <laughs> We really put the Ultimates at number 267. Do you remember why? It's because the A doesn't stand for France on Captain America's oh, so bad. <laughs> oh, so bad. So, oh, so bad. I want to be like, good. anyone who like seriously believes that, it's like, have you been to France? Have you been to France? Go! Shut up and go! <laughs> Eat a French pastry. They're so good. I'm not going to lie. I was... I was really, really hoping that we're gonna have uh, John Walker's use that line in the TV show. Oh, oh that would fit. Wouldn't that would it? be amazing for him to yeah. use the line and then have it turn into like a whole social media thing. Oh, that would have been so great. Yeah, he's such a good actor too. I like that dude. He looks like such a doof in that costume. He does. Um, he has big ears. Anyway, sorry, I'm not here to body shame anybody's ears. Okay, so where do these stories rank? So we have a racism line, I think. Yes. Keeping stories out of the top. Yeah, uh, number 72. Yeah. Truth, red, white, and black. If you're a racist, you can't go above that. <laughs> Ultimate Iron Man isn't going above that. I think it's going significantly lower. I'm Yeah. I'm that bugged by the racism. Because ultimately, I actually... Ultimately. Uh, I do think the story has stuff that, like, is worth recommending. But I can't recommend it. And only part of that is due to the the terrible views of Orson Scott Card. Some of it is due to the terrible stuff within this story. Yeah. I'll recommend this to my white friends. But definitely not my friends. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? See, although that's racist. Yeah, that's like, here you go, Whitey. Have this book. I bet you'll like it. I think you'll really like Tony Stark in this. Just be, hey, listen, Aldo. Just because you have like thousands of years of of evidence to support that statement doesn't mean it's okay. Wait a minute. We're your white friends, and we recommend He's about this us. Book to you. <laughs> So, white friends, what did you think? Where would you rank this book? It brings up my guilt. Um, on a scale of one to two hundred and sixty-nine. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I don't know. It is like, okay, here's a here's a good comparison. Five Ronin 
at number 192. I was just looking there. Yeah. Where there's some interesting stuff, but the 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 sort of casual racism and sexism in the case of Five Ronin, mm-hmm. I think keeps it from being something that we would really doesn't recommend. doesn't sit well. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that this probably goes lower because the racism is a little bit more deliberate than in Five Ronin where I think it's just, you know, unintentional fetishism as opposed to you know, intentional edgelorderiness. Uh, also, just beneath that, we've got Fatal Attractions Invader Down, which are definitely better stories. Yeah. And only some of that is nostalgia for Fatal Attractions. I'm going to say I would put this down um, below Maximum Carnage, which we didn't like, but it seems like it was I don't, a better story, I guess. Like, it was... Had more of a reason to exist. Yeah. Which one was powerless? That's I was the just... one where nobody has powers. And Blade... <laughs> oh, I think I could have figured that much out. Well, that's the one where Blade figures out that something messed up the universe. And nobody has their powers. Everybody says the normal... And a forgettable old... story. And the old guy is the Watcher, and that was a big revelation Oh, yeah, okay, I remember that now. I remember the old guy being the Watcher. So... Would we put this at number 218 between Maximum Carnage and Powerless? I'm just going to take a quick look beneath to see if there's anything down there that I think deserves to go above this. If that's Not what, really. If that's what you guys decide, I am okay with that decision. You want it to go somewhere else? Nope. <laughs> okay. He doesn't want to be the naysayer or the decider, so. I don't have strong opinions about this book. All right. Um. I like 218, John. Yeah, let's do it. Let's put that there. If you're going to read anything by Orson Scott Card, read literally Ender's Game and then stop. Speaker for the Dead's good. Ender's Shadow's all right. I really like Ender's Shadow and Shadow of the Hegemon. Um, Shadow of the Giant's pretty good, too. And the, Shadow the ones of the after that. Shadow of the Hedgehog. <laughs> it's so spiky. What's going on? Isn't Shadow of the Hedgehog going to be in Sonic 3? I hope so. Well, I think they confirmed it in the post credit scene, because of course. Do you think Shadow the Hedgehog is an incel? Anyway, let's uh, <sighs> let's move on to Fantastic Four, Ultimate Fantastic Four. Which, again, I don't think... I don't want to put it super high on the list, because I don't know that it really... Okay, we have. I don't think we've ever read Fantastic Four number one. But we did read the... Uh, First appearance of Doctor Doom, where the thing becomes Blackbeard, which was ridiculous. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure the Ultimate Universe never does. So, yeah, is that a point in their favor or against them? Against them. Against um. them. So that was. Here's the thing: Prisoners of Doom. That's the story. That's number eighty-five on our list. Ultimate Fantastic Four number one is not better than that. So, like, uh, that's that. This is me, like, offering uh, eighty-five as a starting point for the conversation. I think it goes lower than that. If we're talking about like just pure enjoyment, I would put Modox Eleven above this, which is one hundred and seven. Okay. And I like Children's Crusade, but I also concede that you guys don't like it as much as I do. <laughs> yeah, not a fan. So I would put it. Yeah, I would put it above Children's Crusade. This is not a bad area for it because I'm yeah. looking at what's like beneath it and it's like, do I feel really strongly that any of these stories are better? They're certainly not significantly worse, like the the World War Hulk, Warbound, uh, the, the Thor and Loki, the Tenth Realm. These are, I think, comparable stories. Yeah. Uh, not better than Mary Jane and Black Cat. Well, I will put my foot down on that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> that story was... That story was surprisingly delightful. And it canonized that Mary Jane has a dump trunk. (laughs) I don't think this story canonized that. I think this is at least the second time that he's used that to, like, clinch his argument. (laughs) It's like, no, my points are irrefutable. Mary Jane can back that up. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, don't disagree. So... Honestly, I'm pretty good with putting this at number 108, um, although I'm 
like really anywhere in this area, I think I'm okay with. John, what do you think? I I agree. <laughs> okay, what a way. Sorry. I <laughs> just Aldo took me out of it. I I'm <laughs> I learned that strategy. I learned that strategy from from Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey. <laughs> First step, discombobulate. <laughs> Okay, so for our next discussion, we are going to do an X-Men double feature. Uh, we're going to start with something a little bit a little bit lighthearted. It's been a while since I've read it. I have a vague recollection that it, it might not be as lighthearted as, as we think it is. But we're going to read the miniseries The Worst X-Man. And then we're going to follow it up with something significantly less lighthearted. Oh, it's called, sorry, let me get the title right. Worst X-Men Ever by Max Bemis and Michael Walsh. Uh, and then we're going to follow that up with a, a classic X-Men story that uh, I'm really curious to revisit because I... Decades? Decades since I've read it? God Loves Man Kills, which I expect will be a little bit of a heavier conversation. So hopefully we've got a good balance of... of you know, sweet and salty, light and dark, because otherwise this is going to be a real downer of an episode. Yeah. Can't wait to get all philosophical. Something that we are notorious for never doing on this show? Not unless it's started in an anime. Yeah. (laughs) So, so... (laughs) I just... In Aldo's mind... (laughs) Face it, Tiger, I got dumps like a truck. Truck, truck. (laughs) No, that's gross. <laughs> that's so gross. Dumps like a truck. No. <laughs> uh, that that whole book just lives rent free in my mind. <laughs> and on your phone wallpaper. <laughs> Not yet, but that's an excellent suggestion. 